0: We do serve a great God. Amen? So today I'm going to finish up my 26th sermon throughout the book of Romans. This will be my last sermon in the book of Romans, and I have to tell you... Uh, I'm sad to see it go. I feel like that I have learned so much just in my study and in my preparation as I have read and meditated and studied and done everything in, uh, that I've needed to do to prepare to present the truth of Romans uh, here, uh, here to you over the past several months. And uh, I always feel this way. Every time, uh, every time I finish up a book, I always feel that way. I'm like, oh, we're leaving it. Uh, of course, I know that uh, we'll uh, all often refer back to Romans at times, but uh, this week's sermon is going to be a continuation of last week's sermon, and as I have broken up the book of Romans into different series, this last series has been entitled Missional Living. As we've looked at some of the more practical things at the end of the book of Romans, it's led to us to try to think of some more practical things about how we should live missionally in the world. And this is this has really been a lot about, you know, relationships among God's people and relationships among people who are not God's people and a watching world watching us. I mean certainly in this series we've talked about sharing the gospel and going on mission, but there's also other things that take place that we have to be real careful about that can hurt our witness with a watching world. And so I started talking about this last week in Romans chapter 14 uh, where we talked about there are some things that are worth fighting over and there's some things that are not worth fighting over. There are primary, there are secondary, and then there are tertiary types of things. And um, we need to be careful. A, a world is watching us to see whether, whether or not we're genuine. And you may remember, I told you that there's a big difference between man's opinion and God's opinion. And uh, you probably remember this slide that I showed you last week uh, between man's opinion and between God's word. So there's primary issues. There's primary things that we believe that are related to the gospel and related to salvation. Jesus being the only way to God. Jesus being all God, all man. These are important. I mean, you can't even be a Christian without some of these primary things. And then we said there's also some secondary things, some secondary issues that we believe that are very important, that are embedded in God's word, that are clearly given to us in God's word, and you just can't embrace sound doctrine without them. And then the rest, and you know, last week I had four categories. I had tertiary and then I had opinions. I'm just gonna combine those two. I hope that I give you a new phrase that you can use tertiary opinions. Literally everything else is a tertiary opinion. I got scolded a little bit. Uh, I got made fun of a little bit for using using the word tertiary. I personally think that's a good word. But this is a good phrase to think about all of the things that we believe that are not worthy of separating over and arguing over. All of them fall in this category of tertiary opinions. These are things, these are our views on things that Scripture just doesn't clearly answer for us. And this tends to be where we have the most arguments among ourselves as Christians. We talked about this last week. And last week in the first part of Romans chapter 14, basically the Bible said, don't dispute with one another over tertiary opinions, don't segregate, separate, don't judge each other over what we believe about all of these tertiary opinions. Well, today we're going to talk about not being a stumbling block over our tertiary opinions. Not being a stumbling block, but rather being a building block. You know, this past Thanksgiving, I was uh, walking across the yard, and there was a little dip in the yard, and someone had planted two trees, and they had staked them down, it was a little dark. And as I was wearing my uh, non-athletic camo Crocs, and I went down in that little ditch, and I didn't see that stake, and I tripped over it, and it was funny. But it was not funny because nobody saw it. Uh, except me, it was one of those, you know, where you st- you almost fall, and then you kind of laugh. And you look around and make sure, okay, good, nobody saw me, because that would have been funny to someone. Uh, so we're going to talk about not being a stumbling block. Not being a stumbling block. Now you may remember last week the first uh, the, in the first collection of verses in Romans fourteen was basically telling both the weak and the strong, both those who feel constrained by their their tertiary opinions and those who have a freedom, basically telling both of them, don't judge one another. Now we're going to look at these next verses, and they are really directed towards people who have the most most strength, the most freedom, and uh, gives them the responsibility not to be a stumbling block. So let's read these verses together. I invite you to stand as we read Romans chapter 14, and we'll start reading in verse 13. God's Word says, "'Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide, never,' I like that word, "'never put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother.'" I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died." So don't let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. But it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is not good, excuse me, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, just keep it between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever doubts is condemned if he eats. Because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Father, today as we look at these verses and maybe we don't quite understand what all this eating and drinking conversation is about, but Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand clearly what your word says today about not allowing us in our tertiary opinions and in our freedoms that are related to those to not cause anyone to stumble. Teach us from your word today, and we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So about 20 years ago, I finally was able to do something that I always wanted to do my whole life. Uh, I was about 27 years old, and I went on a tandem skydive. Uh, Anybody ever been on a tandem skydive? Basically, what they do is you are strapped to someone who is a professional skydiver, and you jump out of the plane, and you get a skydiving experience without having to worry about pulling the chute, watching the elevation, you know, all that type of stuff. And so I found a friend of mine who said that he would do it with me, and neither one of us had done it before. But there was a guy in my church, his name was Chuck, and he used to be a base jumper. and right, I'm really interested. How many of you have ever base jumped? Has anybody in here, I doubt anybody in here has ever base jumped. Base, while a tandem skydive is very safe, a, uh, base jumping is one of the most dangerous activities that you could possibly do. Base jumping is whenever you have a parachute but you're jumping off, of a, uh, jumping off of like a side of a mountain or you're jumping off a building or something like that. And the thrill of base jumping is that you can see the ground coming at you really, really fast. And so what base jumpers try to do is they choose objects that are lower and lower so they can get more and more of a thrill. So anyway, I talked to my friend named Chuck, and I was asking him, hey, where would I go for a tandem skydive? And he told me where to go. It's a place where he used to go a lot. And I said, hey, why don't you come with me? And he said, Scott, I can't do that anymore. He said, you know, I hurt myself. I almost died doing a base jump. I have a family now. I I have a wife, and I can't do that. And it, for me, it's wrong for me to do that. I, have to, I had, to, had to walk away from that lifestyle. It's a whole lifestyle of adrenaline and all this. And he said, I, had to, I was like, oh, come on, Chuck. I won't let you go. Just, just come on out watch us. Just come be a part. And he was like, Scott, I'm telling you, if I go out there and I'm around those people and I'm with those people and I'm in that environment, I could easily get pulled back in. And see, what I didn't realize at the moment what I was doing is I was becoming dangerously close to being a stumbling block to my friend over something that it's not debatable whether it's right or wrong, but for him, for him, it would have been wrong. It would have diverted him in his walk with Christ. It would have hindered him. And that's what it means to be a stumbling block. And so... If last week God's word says don't judge each other over tertiary opinions, this week the Bible is telling us not to cause people to stumble over our freedom of expression when it comes. To our tertiary opinion. So don't be a stumbling block is the first thing that we see in Romans chapter 14. Don't be a stumbling block. Never be a stumbling block or a hindrance is what the Bible says. And it doesn't just say it in Romans chapter 14. It also says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 as well. It says don't be a stumbling This time is in the context of eating meat sacrificed to an idol. This evidently was a common teaching that Paul delivered to all of the churches all over the known world. That this idea of not being a stumbling block. It wasn't an issue whether or not an activity was sinful or not. It was an issue over whether or not someone else thought it was sin. And by you doing it, you hindered them in their walk. With Christ. Now we have to be careful and understand what a stumbling block is. A stumbling block is whenever you cause someone to spiritually trip. It means that I'm doing just fine in my walk with Christ, and I'm headed in this direction, and I'm and I'm and I'm loving the Lord, and all of a sudden you do something that diverts my attention. There's an activity, something that you say, or something that you do that diverts my attention, and it could, and it's something that I feel feel like is wrong and that I shouldn't do and you, you maybe disagree you feel that it's okay it's a tertiary opinion but I feel that it's wrong and you convince me that it's okay or maybe you don't convince me maybe I just observe your life and I hear you express your opinion and I see you walking in your freedom and you make it obvious about your tertiary opinion and there's something about it that draws me in. The Bible tells us not to do that. The Bible tells us uh, not to become a hindrance, not to lead people, uh, lead people astray. Um, and uh, also, I, I guess I have to say this, um, this is not the same as offending someone. The Bible never tell us, tells us, thou shalt not be offensive. Being a stumbling block and being offensive is different. If we were bound to never be offensive then we couldn't even preach the gospel. We couldn't tell people that they're sinners. We couldn't have any opinions at all because people are just so easily offended in our world today. This also is not the same as you doing something that I believe is wrong. That's not. A, that's not you being a stumbling block. Um, if I'm offended by it and I think it's wrong, those those are those are completely different than me saying, "Okay, I think." I'm going to do it myself, and when I do, it becomes a stumbling block. Can y'all see the distinction between those two things? Am I explaining that right? Because uh, I, I think it's important to understand the difference between those two. So what was it in the early church? We talked about this last week. What were these tertiary opinions, these things that they argued over and fought over, these things that they judged each other over, these things that sometimes caused people to stumble? We find them in, uh, um, in Romans chapter 14, verse 15, verse 20, verse 21, and verse 23. They're mentioned. They have to do with food and drink and religious holidays. So if you look at all these verses that I read to you earlier, a lot of them are about eating and a lot of them are about drinking. Now this is, this is the, the, same, uh, the, the same context of what we looked at last week, but last week it talked a lot about the ritual holidays and things like that and just a little bit about eating and drinking. And so if you take the whole chapter, so the verses that I preached last week and the verses that we're looking at this week, if you take the whole chapter, then it's both food and drink and religious holidays together. And here was the main question. And Again, I, I, I talked about this last week. I encourage you if you weren't here last week, to go online or go on Facebook and, uh, and to watch that message. But the questions that faced them was, should Christians, here, here's, here's where they got into their tertiary opinionizing and arguing. Should Christians follow the law from the Old Testament? Are they bound to the diet of the Old Testament? Are they bound to the ritual law of the Old Testament? Should, should they, for example, observe the Passover? But then it got even bigger than that. Can a Christian who is a Jew eat with Gentiles? Because Jews who are not Christians don't eat with Gentiles. So when a Jew is still a Jew, but they become a Christian, can they not eat with Gentiles? And y'all remember that Paul and Peter um, had an issue over uh, Peter's behavior about this in Galatians chapter 1. And then it got even bigger than that. And we read a little bit of this at the beginning. Should a Christian eat meat sold in the market that was offered in sacrifice, the animal that it came from was offered in sacrifice to idols. Some Christians said yes, some Christians said no. And then we even see in this passage that the idea of consuming uh, wine, what you and I would call beverage alcohol, is also mentioned. And so the overarching question was, is, is it improper for God? Is it improper for God's people to do these things? Does it make them unholy? Does it defile them? Does it make them unclean? Well, if it does, obviously our goal in seeking to not be a stumbling block is we don't want to create defilement. So we see that right here in this verse as well, that we're not supposed to cause defilement. Well, we get that from this word, unclean. He says... Uh, you know, uh, Paul says, I'm persuaded that nothing is unclean, and he uses that word a lot, unclean. Okay, so, so what, is, what's, what, what's un- what foods would be unclean? I can give you one right off the bat, okay? You want me to tell you an unclean food? Raw oysters. Nasty. I mean, who wants to slurp bait off of a seashell? Yuck! I mean, there's something about the way that it wiggles, man, that is just gross. I know, some, I know, some of y'all eat raw sushi, don't you? Bah! I mean, if there's a food that's unclean, I'm telling you, that's got to be it. You want me to, you, you want me to tell you another one is sushi. Y'all eat sushi? Yuck! I've eaten sushi one time. It was on one of my very first dates with that lady right there that I ended up marrying, and I wanted to impress her. She ordered sushi, and she said, try it. I wanted to impress her. I ate some and gagged. I don't think I left a very good impression. I mean, those are just two foods, raw oysters and sushi, that in my opinion, okay, here I'm opinionizing, right? in my opinion, are unclean. So what is unclean? In the Old Testament, there were certain foods and there were certain activities and certain things that you could do that would make you defiled. And when I say defiled, I mean things that would cause you to be separated from the ritual worship of God in the temple, things that would cause you to be separated from God's people, that they couldn't come near to you because you were defiled, and would even were even seen as separating you from God Himself. Certain foods, like pork, pork was one of those foods that was considered defiled. Um, lepers. People with certain skin diseases, unless they were pronounced cleansed by the priest, they were considered unclean, and you couldn't have contact with him, or you would also be ritually unclean. A woman during her monthly cycle was considered ritually unclean, and her husband having any contact with her during that time, he was also considered ritually unclean. Touching a dead body, especially a human body, uh, was considered to be uh, considered to be unclean. Uh, certain contact with non-Jewish people was considered to be unclean. Uh, the, the, the temple could become unclean if uh, there was idolatry in it. So we're still asked with this, what, what, are, what, are some, what are some things that we could put in our bodies that would defile us? Well, I believe that Jesus has the express answer to that question. In Mark chapter 7, verse 14 through verse 23, Jesus says that there is nothing that goes into the body that could defile him. Nothing that goes... Now, he was specifically talking about food and drink. Nothing that goes in that defiles him. But rather, what is defiling are those things that come out of him. Those things that are in the heart are what defile. And so when we think about food and drink, when we think about the things that we put into our bodies, we have to ask ourselves: what are some substances that God would say defile you just simply because you put those substances in your body? And we would have to say nothing. There is nothing just by the nature of the substance that would defile you. However, we also have to look deeper than that at what Jesus teaches, Jesus is saying here. And what the Bible teaches. He says there are things that come out of the heart that can defile you. If you consume alcohol because you want to buzz then that's defiling. There's something in your heart, and the Bible says that that's sinful. If you want to overindulge in food because you have a problem in your life and you're just trying to smother it with food, there's a defilement there, and it's not because of the food that you're putting in because it really doesn't matter what kind of food that you're eating. You are using food as a substance to cover up a major problem that you have in your life. I mean, we could say this about all sorts of things. We, we could say, the, we could say um, the, the same thing about sex and how God has created it in a beautiful way that's to be enjoyed between a man and a woman. But if you abuse it, and if you use it to cover up some need or some inadequacy that you have in your life and you're just trying to use people in order to, to cover up that need and to, 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 to create some type of, of comfort for yourself emotionally, And the Bible would say, that no, that's defiling. These are are things that the Bible talks about. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, adultery, coveting, wickedness, all of these things, foolishness. Jesus says, these are things that come out of the heart. And if you use a substance that you put in your body and somehow springing out of your heart are these things, then we really do have to ask the question, Are you creating defilement by those things? Because this is what Jesus, is. back to Romans chapter 14, verse 14. It is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. Now this is really important. If someone thinks it is unclean, then it is unclean. If there is no malice and no sinfulness in your heart whenever you uh, uh, consume a glass of wine and there is no desire for any type of altered state of mind but yet someone who is a recovering alcoholic sees you do that and they end up doing likewise Now we're getting into a stumbling block, we're getting into defilement. Listen, we could say the same thing about all sorts of activities. But the Bible says, don't destroy the work of God in this way. Look what it says in verse 15. If your brother is grieved by what you eat or really what you drink or anything, then you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. you see that? Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. And it says that it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble. The Bible says that that is sinful. If there is something that you do that you feel like you have the freedom to practice, whether it be an activity or whatever it might be, and in so doing, you cause someone else to do something that they believe is wrong and defiles them. The Bible says that it's wrong for us for us to do those things. Now, I know, I know what you're thinking. Well, that's not my problem, that they're not as strong as me and that they don't know as much as me. Yes, it is your, it, it absolutely is your problem. The Bible says, and I don't have this for the screen, in Romans chapter 15... It says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. This is, I think this is, this is, this is really important. I mean, we could talk about all types of things, all types of substances that we put in our body. We could talk about, talk about, uh, talk about tobacco, you know, in its various forms. And and, I mean, don't get me into the debate about hemp and how that has become legalized and, you know, so now what? Is that that on the same par? And we could even go further than this. People would say, well, it's, it's wrong to gamble. And then, oh, it's just a $1 lottery ticket. Well, what if it causes someone to stumble? Certain types of media, certain types of recreational activities, like my friend who was a base jumper, and, and I almost enticed him to come back in and join me. What the scripture is saying is that we have to be extremely careful. In all of these tertiary opinions, whether it be feasts and holidays, whether it be the debate about is Halloween good or should we celebrate Christmas and Easter, and so, like some Christians do, no one that I've heard of here, but some, some Christians do debate that, you know, we, we just got to be careful about all of those things that we don't lead somebody into something that they believe is sinful. And so rather, the Bible says to be a building block. To be a building block. Verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God, it's not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, of peace, and of joy of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says to pursue the things that lead to peace. That we don't, we don't pursue the things that lead to division. And all of our tertiary opinions and sharing them and forcefully pushing them on other people, they don't lead to peace and they don't lead to mutual upbuilding. And the Bible says, listen, keep it between yourself and God. I think that's wise counsel. Well, it has to be, because it's in the Bible, right? I think this is what God commands us to do. I think that we could easily apply this when it comes to things like beverage alcohol, when it comes to things like, you know, being against Christmas or against Halloween or Ford or not, or whatever. I believe that this is extremely wise counsel when it comes to things like us having an opinions about how the vaccine is the mark of the beast or not getting the vaccine is not loving your neighbor. And we could say the same thing about wearing a mask or not. Do we really need to argue over these things? Can, can we Can we not just say that, well, these are, these are tertiary opinions and not separate and not divide? I mean, it's amazing. You know, I, I, think, I think one day we'll look back and say, well, I, I, I can't believe that we divided over each other of those things. Because we look back and we think, man, we used to fight over Bible translations. We used to fight over opinions about the second coming. Man, Christians for a long time fought over whether or not hymns or praise songs were better and more appropriate for the church. And do you know that the fact, listen, The fact that we fight over all of these things is a potential stumbling block for people. It is a stumbling block for people for us to even argue over these things. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are on the extreme edge of some of these issues and you can't believe that I'm not as forcefully on one side or the other as you are. Guess what, I I I have just as forceful opinions about all of these things, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna separate from you over these things. I, I mean these are these are not worthy, and listen, it it is not it is not necessary for you to tell everyone on social media. Everything you believe about every controversial subject that comes up, you're not helping. You're not bringing peace. You're not upbuilding people. You're not keeping it between yourself and God. And listen, you're not being instructive. You're you're really not. I mean, you might, and when I say you, I don't mean necessarily anybody in this room. I'm just talking to Christians in general. It's it's not anything that is even enlightening people. There's no opinion that you have that you're arguing that somebody else hadn't already argued it. And I think this is such wise counsel when the Bible says to keep it between yourself and God. Now listen, I've been talking, mainly I've mentioned All of the things that we have or have in the past are, and as many more that we've argued about among Christians. But listen, a watching world, they're paying attention. Do you know how many people have left the church? Not necessarily our church, but they've left God's church because churches fought over music. Over something that was supposed to build us up and give praise to God. Over the past 20 or 30 years, how many Christians how many Christians, have we caused to stumble and to fall out of faithful participation in the Lord's Day because we argued over that? God forbid that 10 years from now, we would look back and say the same thing about vaccines and masks. God forgive us. I mean, we don't want to be a stumbling block to each other and when a world, when a, wor- a watching world is peeking behind the curtain, kind of testing to see whether or not we're real with each other, well, how much, how much more do we also need to make sure that we relate to a lost world in the way that we need to? Listen, if 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 we can't get along as Christians and not judge. And separate and cause each other to stumble over tertiary opinions? How in the world are we gonna live a missional life and engage a lost world with all of these primary important things that we think are extremely important? I mean, if we can't do it with each other over tertiary opinions, how are we gonna properly stand up for what we believe in a watching world? And we're we're so prickly. Why are we so prickly? Christian, why are you so prickly? You don't don't need to be. You know that you're saved. You know that you're going to be in heaven for all of eternity. No matter what happens in this world, you know you're going to be in heaven for all eternity. And there's nothing about that that is ever going to change. You don't have to be prickly with a lost world out there that disagrees with you. I mean would you really would you really blame and get mad at a blind man for stepping on your foot? The people out in this world they don't know Jesus. Of course they have views about abortion and marriage and all of those different things that are different than us. Of, of course they of course they believe different than us. I don't know that Jesus would react harshly with people over over all of these things, and they're watching us. And if we can't witness to them, if we can't share the gospel with them, because we're too busy arguing with them and fighting with them and opposing them and seeing them as the enemy, how are we going to convert the enemy by being obstinate towards the enemy? We've got. To, we we have to learn some. Listen, look. If you want to. If if you if you want to get together with your family and close friends and go in your house and shut the door and clear a spot and pitch a fit, go ahead. I mean, I understand. Throw lamps over, just give way to your outrage over how bad the world is. All right, here's a pro tip. I mean, just look in Revelation, it's not gonna get any better. This world is broken, y'all. It's broken. It's not going to get fixed until Jesus comes back and fixes it. And we are so good at messing things up, aren't we? Adam and Eve, our first parents, they messed it all up in the garden, didn't they? I mean, how dare they? We would have done the same thing. They messed it up. They had a perfect world, and they messed it up. Do you know the best government that has ever been established ever on the face of the planet is recorded in the Old Testament. The ancient Hebrews, they had God as their king. They had a land. They had his laws. They had an opportunity to do it perfect. They messed it up. They totally messed it up. We're messing it up right here in the United States too, aren't we? We're good at messing it up. We're good at messing things up. It's not going to get fixed till King Jesus comes back. Our goal is we want to see people. We want to see people saved. Lord give us a humility. Lord give us a humility as we interact with a lost world and as we talk to people and may we fight for the kingdom like Jesus did in service, in humility, and in love. If we're gonna be a stumbling block, let's be a stumbling block like Jesus was. The Bible says that he is a rock of offense and that people stumble over him. The Jews stumbled over him because they didn't believe in him. If we're gonna put a stumbling block in anybody's way, let it be Jesus. Let Jesus be the only stumbling block that but people have a potential to have whenever they encounter us. I want to end with Mark chapter 7, verse 21 through verse 23. Jesus said from within, from without of the heart of man come evil thoughts. From out. See, that, that's where defilement comes from. The defilement doesn't, doesn't come from outside, anywhere, some, something out here that comes at me, that comes towards me, that comes around me, or that, I, or that I consume. Defilement is something that's inside of me. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, all of these things. Listen, don't put anything in your mouth. Don't put anything in your eyes. Don't put anything in your ears that contributes to the wickedness that's in your heart, and then turn around and say, well, the Bible doesn't say that it's wrong for me to do this. The Bible doesn't say that it's wrong for me to consume this or to look at this or to listen to this. Don't do that. I mean, we've got to see sin for for what it is. Let's not use what is good for what is evil because it, it hurts us and it causes people to stumble. These are the things... I don't, I don't know if you have any of this darkness and any of this blackness that's deep inside of your heart. I know I do. I know that we all do. And here's, 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 another, here's another pro tip for you. You know, you can't change your heart. You absolutely cannot change your heart. I can go on a diet. I can change my appearance. I can shave my head or grow my hair out long. I can do a lot of things I can switch jobs. I can move houses. I can do a lot of things to make my life look different. But do you know when it comes to changing myself on the inside, I'm absolutely and completely powerless to change any of that darkness that exists on the inside of me. Powerless. Only Jesus can change those things. Only Jesus can change a heart. And you have to ask him, you have, to, you have to want it. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Let's pray. And I want you to ask Jesus how you need a heart change today. Is there something going on in your life? Maybe among this list that we just read, something that's going on in your life that you would say, oh, that's in my heart, and I need to change it. That's in my heart. I need to get it out. Would you just pray pray about that today? Would you just offer that prayer before the Lord today? If you don't know Jesus as Savior, if you've never been born again, would you call on Jesus right now and ask him to save you?